Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. She was a dime store podcast, and she always will be. This is Sam, a.k.a. The Chief, with the Barn Burner and the Barn Burner Podcast Network. This is an episode of In the Can, our movie podcast, where we interview filmmakers, talk movies, talk TV, and the like. But today, I'm joined by the theater and college basketball crew, Sue B and the Shark, and a very special guest, writer-director of Along Came Polly, I Love You Man, writer of Meet the Parents, John Hamburg, to talk Along Came Polly's 15th anniversary. We talked the background of the movie, the inspiration for the story. John even tells a few absolutely cannot fucking miss stories about Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Ben Stiller, and Alec Baldwin on set. John is a great hang. Check out the podcast. We're brought to you by Blue Note Bourbon, which is as sweet as Polly Prince. Be noteworthy, Memphis. We've got plenty of time scuba here on this podcast, so join us. Reuben Pfeffer made a career out of avoiding risk. People wonder why they get E. coli poisoning. On average, only one out of every six people wash their hands when they go to the bathroom. So he always made a safe choice. I would ensure your marriage any day of the week. Hello, are you guys full scuba? I think I'm going to skip the scuba diving. You sure? But just when he thought every danger could be avoided... Ahoy, matey! Oh, my God. This is not what it looks like. Dum, 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 dum. I heard about your honeymoon. Just terrible. I am so sorry, Ruben. Oh, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of complicated. Don't make excuses. She's a dime store hooker and she always will be. You sure you need some more time off? Mm-hmm. All right, good things. This is the Chief. This is Sam with the Barn Burner Podcast Network on In the Can. And right now, we're joined by an extremely special guest, the creator of such comedy legends as Greg Fokker, Sandy Lyle, and Sidney Fife, the writer and director of Along Came Polly, I Love You Man, and Why Him, and of course, the famous bagpipe scene in Crocodile Tears, which I feel like was snubbed by the Oscars. It's John Hamburg. John, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us this evening. Uh, I know you're, you're really busy, and uh, we're expecting good things from this podcast, uh, as Alec nice. Baldwin's character would say. Now, it's, it's the 15th anniversary of Along Came Polly. I was sitting in my living room, and the movie came on, and I found myself sucked in, watched the whole damn thing, did not intend to. It's had this whole second life on cable. When I'm flipping around, I see it, I'm watching it. And so we, you know, we reached out to you, and you agreed to come on and, and talk about uh, Along Came Polly a little bit, and maybe some of your other projects as well. 
So I guess I wanted yeah. to start with how did how did Long Came Polly get made? Like how did that project begin and kind of walk us through the beginnings of that? Um, I mean, the quick version is it was just an idea I had. I was uh, I had just finished my work um, as a writer on Meet the Parents, uh, and it was. I was taking my first like grown up vacation with my then girlfriend, now wife. And we went to the Caribbean and there was this like, you know, extremely handsome tan French guy in a speedo, um, walking around the beach, you know, just greeting people and, and long hair and everything. And here I was this, uh, kind of pasty guy from New York city. Um, and the whole thing almost like flashed into my mind. I just started to, the words, are you for scuba were the first words I ever thought about in the script, which became a, a line that Hank Azaria as Claude, this French scuba instructor, um, you know, says to Deborah Messing. So and from there, I just sort of developed the story. I mean, this, you know, the story kind of came to me. It was it, some projects come in, you know, from other scripts or ideas, but this was just, you know, from my imagination, a hundred percent. And, uh, I kind of developed it as a pitch. And then I, I had, I pitched it to universal who I just worked on, uh, meet the parents with some of the executives there and they, they bought it. They loved, they liked it. And, uh, and we were kind of off to the races. It was kind of, a, it was, you know, it, it sounds simple. I mean, there were a lot of drafts of the script and this and that, but that was really how it all started. So you you had a real life experience with uh, with Hank Azaria's character. That must have been a harrowing experience for you. I mean, it was uh, it was harrowing. I mean, the guy he wasn't naked, you know. In my in my script, he was naked, but it was you know. I think it was a it was like a, it was in St. Bart's, which is a French Caribbean island. So half the people were topless, half the women were topless. There were some nude guys, fully nude. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't run away with my girlfriend, but, um, <laughs> but of course, uh, you know, that's what the writing's for. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, so did you, did you start out like wanting to direct it or was that something universal then just kind of said, Hey, we, we kind of want to tap you to, to direct the, cause I think this, this is your, what your second film you directed. Yeah. My first film is a kind of a cult film called safe men, uh, with Sam Rockwell and Steve Zahn, Paul Giamatti, Mark Ruffalo, and others. Um, and uh, I, yeah, no, I, what happened was we were finishing um, Meet the Parents, and, and the executive at Universal said, you know, this has been a good experience. What do you want to do? I was like, look, I'm working as a screenwriter on this, but really I'm a writer-director. And so we made a deal for me as a writer director that I would pitch them a movie. And if they, you know, if they liked it, then I would be attached as the director. So it was always, yeah. Along came Polly was always a writing directing uh, combo for me. That's great. How, how did the casting come together? I mean, I know you guess you work with Stiller on meet the parents, um, but yep. you know, Aniston huge get that's like peak friends Aniston at this point. That was peak Aniston. I mean, she's obviously peaked many times and has an incredible career, but that was the, like the height of, you know, the friends phenomenon. And I think they were in their last year. I mean, yeah, Stiller, I, I had worked on, you know, I was kind of still at the early stages of my career, but we had worked on meet the parents and worked on drafts of Zoolander. Um, so we knew each other really well. And, um, we did a reading of the script in LA with 
with Ben and Hank Azaria was in it. Some other actors who didn't end up being in the movie um, who were awesome. They were great. But, um, but Ben, we did the reading and Ben, it went really well. And Ben said he wanted to do the movie after that read, after that reading. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Jennifer, you know, it was, we had a meeting in her manager's office. It was like a, uh, you know, a, it was like a Hollywood version of an awkward blind date where we, you know, you don't know each other and, you know, you're kind of, you're, executives put you together and I, I do remember there was popcorn um in the meeting and uh, we just talked about the character and ate some popcorn and talked about the tone of the movie and she was awesome and agreed to do it and you know they were a great combo and then Philip Seymour Hoffman was an actor I knew from New York I'm a New Yorker and um I had met him a few times and he'd actually auditioned for Safe Men uh, the, the first movie I did and he was in stuff, but he wasn't a huge star at that point. But I just felt like he was the only person. I wrote Sandy Lyle for him. And so I was desperate for him to do it. And he had never been in a comedy, really. And I, you know, I just had to convince him that I would protect him and it was going to be good. And, and when he was in, that was incredibly exciting. Um, and then, you know, and then we were lucky to get, well, Hank Azaria had been in this read-through and I auditioned all these real French guys for this, the role of Claude, the scuba instructor. And then I was like, what am I doing? Hank is, nobody is nearly as funny or as awesome as Hank. And he has a perfect accent. He's a genius with accents. I just wanted it to be authentic. And, you know, we went, you know, thankfully Hank, Hank wanted to do it. And, um, and then Alec Baldwin and Deborah Messing and, um, I got Kevin Hart to play a, a small part, um, as, as, you know, one of, and Judah Friedlander as Philip Seymour Hoffman's E channel video crew. Um, so, you know, amongst several other great actors, but that was, that was how the primary cast kind of came together. That's awesome. Uh, I know we were big Philip Seymour Hoffman fans, particularly Sandy Lyle fans here. I know that the, <laughs> the other guys are chomping at the bit to ask their, uh, their sure. hot questions. So what do we got yeah. with John? I, I got to tell you, Sandy Lyle and, uh, Stan and Dursky, probably my two favorite characters in the entire film, but I want to focus in on Sandy Lyle because when I watched Philip Seymour Hoffman play him, I was thinking to myself, everyone has that friend. Everyone has that delusional friend who's super overconfident, always thinking in the past. And yet, to an even more particular point, uh, a guy who thinks he's better at basketball than he really is. So yep. was Sandy Lyle, I know you said you had Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman in mind for this, did you have a personal Sandy Lyle in your group of friends? <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I, I can honestly say I don't, I don't, I mean, if, if there was one out there, maybe they'll come out of the woodwork and go, Hamburg, I, I'm the real Sandy Lyle. Um, <laughs> I don't have a personal Sandy Lyle, but it's like my favorite type of character in comedy at a, 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 a false confidence. A, a person who's confident and has no reason to be, and you know that they're not actually confident on the inside. Um, it's just a, it's just a, a character type that I've been fascinated with. Like, whereas Stan and Dursky, Alec Baldwin's character is confident and he kind of has every right to be, he's, he's kind of, you know, living his dream life. But Sandy Lyle, you kind of know he's not, but he, he overcompensates so much. Um, so it was just, I think it was just like that, that 
vein of comedy that I wanted to tap into with that guy, as opposed to a real person. Yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar. That was based on a community theater production uh, I went to, a college roommate of mine, Steve Miller, not the, not the famous uh, singer, um, but a, a wonderful dude. He was, after college, he invited us to a, he was in a local Lower East Side production of Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, so that inspired that idea. That was based on truth. Why would I hear that guitar strumming at the beginning of that of that uh, that rendition? I get fired up and kind of wish that there's a spinoff movie of that performance of uh, of, this, of Samuel <laughs> yeah. Isle and Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, unlikely, but um, but I'll you know if there's any Hollywood executives listening, perhaps we talk. <laughs> well, John, before I ask my question, I just want to preface this by letting you know that I have seen this movie upwards of fifty times. I can recall specific moments in my life where I watched it, the cities, the states, and kind of the reaction that it's elicited out of myself and my group of friends. And, you know, that's just a testament to how great this movie was, at least, at least for me. I, I, I will still laugh whenever it'll show up on whatever uh, network is carrying it, yeah. PBS, Comedy Central, no matter what. I'm always going to watch it. So I, I got your back. But I, you, I'm your friend to- for life. Thank you. That, that's good. That's good. So I'm glad when you think of the two funnier, the, I guess the funniest characters, most people are going to think of Sandy Lyle there. I'm sure the YouTube clip of the basketball scene is the most played from the movie. Yep. That's what everyone remembers. Uh, you know, raindrop, you know, all, all, yep. all of his jumpers, but I want to focus on Stan and Dursky because one, how did Alec Baldwin get involved in the role? And then two, the bathroom scene when he's taking the leak right next to him in the, in the right next to the urinal. And then he, when he does the rubbing the earlobe, was that scripted or yeah. not? Um, okay. So Baldwin, you know, I had a great casting director, Kathleen Chopin. And, you know, we were like, you just want to cast not the usual suspects in a way, you know, kind of like Bill Hoffman. You wouldn't, ex- you know, expect him necessarily to play that part. Um, Alec hadn't done that much comedy at that point. He had done this movie outside Providence that was sort of comedic, um, but not a real comedy. And he hadn't done 30 rock yet, but I just had a sense that he could be right for it. And, um, and we met at his office at the time he was living, you know, part-time in, in LA. Um, we met at his office in Santa Monica and it was like, he just knew that this, this type of guy, like a mustery New York kind of alpha male business guy, he, he knew it in his bones. And I, you know, we had this meeting and I was like, there's no one, no one can play Stan and Dursky, but Alec. Um, and we played around with his accent and I, you know, it was like, he, I was like, we don't need a whole accent. Like, don't try to do too much. You are this guy. Um, and one thing that made the character was the glasses. And the glasses came, I don't know if you remember his glasses. They're very specific. Um, oh, yeah. They came out of storyboard oh. artist. Uh, and he wore these glasses. And I, it just struck me. I was like, those are Stan and Dursky's glasses. So we had a pair made exactly. And then he saw them and he was like, that's perfect. I want to wear those glasses. Um, so, <laughs> uh, he did it. And I can say that Alec, you know, um, was like one of the easiest actors I've ever worked with. Um, one of the most giving actors, there was a, actually a scene where Phil Hoffman, he, it's at the conference room where he's giving a monologue at the end, pretend, you know, he's filling in, he's Ruben's proxy. 
and he gives a whole speech and it's, he's got to kill it. He's, there's no, he can't fake it. I don't know if you guys know the scene I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. How could I forget? (laughs) And Phil was having trouble getting there. Um, he Phil is, was one of the great actors, as we all know of all time, one of the great geniuses I've ever worked with. Um, he just couldn't get there. And he was like, are we getting it? And I, you know, I was like, eh. and he was like, I know we're not getting it. We were not getting it. Okay. When you have an actor of Phil's level, you know, when you're getting it or not, we took a lunch break. Alec sat with Phil at lunch. He was like, Alec was like, let me go talk to him. I stepped away actor to actor. I don't know what Alec did. I don't know what happened, but we came back after lunch and in one take, Phil got the entire performance and nailed it. Um, and he credits Alec, you know, he credited Alec for whatever he said to him. It was like, he got him in that headspace. Um, so just, you know, I'm just remembering what, what a, what an awesome experience that was with him. And then, and when, uh, uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you, you had a fault. You, your second question. Oh, the, the, the urinal scene. No, that ear rub, um, the scene, the words in the scene are totally scripted. I think I wrote that he, you know, get stands behind him possibly, but the ear tug was, was all Alec. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the I guy, that was in my career. When I think back, that was one of the most enjoyable scenes I've ever directed because it just was like between Stiller, who's one of the great reactionary comedians, like you just see his face. He does, he's doing so much, but it doesn't look like he's doing a lot. And then Alec coming behind him, you know, and going, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? And tucking his ear. <laughs> it just, it, 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 you know, it just blew me away to watch it. Um, so Alec gets full credit for the ear tug. That's oh, awesome. Um, I will say the, the repeated squirting, you know, when you kind of, let a little drip out and a little more and a little more. That actually was scripted. <laughs> <laughs> that was some great ADR there to add those effects in. Unless Alec was able to, he's got great, you know, he might be doing Kegels. No, I, yeah, you'd, have, you'd have to podcast with him, but I, that was pretty much done in post-production. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, scene awesome. was just, that scene was so perfect because it shows how uncomfortable anyone would be in that situation with someone right up their butt and right next to them, but especially Ruben, who's a hypochondriac, yeah. super clean, all that stuff. It was, it was perfect. Yeah. I mean, I based that comedy. A lot of my comedy comes from my own neuroses. So that came from, I would go to Knicks games a lot and it was before the era of urinal dividers and you have all this pressure during halftime to, you know, you're waiting online and you got to pee and there's all these guys watching, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, it's just the, the anxiety of like, ah, these guys know I'm taking too long and I can't perform. And uh, so that's where that, that concept came from. That's great. I do want to talk a little about Stiller too, because I mean, I feel like he's, he's either this character, you know, this like reserved neurotic kind of, you know, sad sack type character, or he's like yep. outrageous, you know, like in dodgeball yep. uh, or yep. heavyweights, a nineties favorite of mine, yep. um, where, oh, where that's a great both, one. Right. Yeah. So I love how he goes just from one vacillates from these one extreme to the other. But I mean, he, he was doing some great work here in the two thousands. It kind of, some of it, you know, went unnoticed and some of it, you know, like along came Polly and meet the parents were, were big hits. But I, I really think like, obviously he's the linchpin to this movie and he makes it work by his just reactions to all these outrageous fucking characters around him at all times. Yeah. I mean, he, then, you know, 
look, it's not, you can't say he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he is a massive movie star and is in some of the biggest comedies, you know, of the last 20 years. Um, but I think it's like when you watch the movie, you know, maybe the more outlandish characters pop, you know, like, like Baldwin or, or, or Phil Hoffman um, or Hank, but he, you know, it, there's no movie without him. Um, and his, you know, taking you on the emotional journey and reacting to all these people, reacting to Aniston, you know, and then he's not just reacting, he's also coming to life. Like his, you know, I think like one of the great performing moments he has is when um, he's doing the slow-mo dance for, for Aniston, you know, for Polly to show how much effort he's put into it. Um, and his face just lights up and he's like so uninhibited, you know, for a guy who is so inhibited for two thirds of the movie, you know, that's very hard to pull off. And, uh, and I just think he, he nailed it. He does. Um, I want to go back real quick to, to Sandy Lyle. I know we were initially messaging about uh, you coming on the show. You mentioned that there was a story about that first scene where he, you know, physical comedy genius just busts ass. Uh, and you oh, said yeah. there was a story on set about that. We, we have been just beside ourselves to hear the story. Like we, we're well, really looking forward to this. <laughs> I will see if it, if it, if it, if it, if it, uh, you know, exceeds your expectations. I mean, yeah. So the, it's the moment where, you know, he, you first meet Sandy Lyon is Ruben. The best man is in the house. And before he can finish, he slips and falls on his ass. Um, so that was a reshoot. The, the, we only did, we did like two days of additional photography after we had edited the whole movie and the movie, we realized it did not start funny enough or exciting enough. And, Sandy was this breakout character. And, you know, we were like, we need to give him a real introduction. Um, so I came up with that scene, uh, you know, and it was, uh, I was like, how are we going to pull this off? Now, a couple of things. Phil had lost a lot of weight between filming and the original production and then this reshoot. Um, I, why, I can't remember. But so the, the guy is wearing a fat um, a fat suit, basically, like a huge heavy <laughs> pillow on his gut, so he so he'd look the same. Uh, we had our stunt guy there. You know, Phil's like, how? What? How? We none of us were like knew how he was going to do that. The, the stunt guy's like, he's going to fucking slip and land on his hip where I put a pad on his body. There's no, it's not a padded floor. It's a wooden floor. <laughs> so. Phil was a little like, what? So, you know, the, the stunt guy greases the floor. I mean, it was the most lo-fi. Now they do it with, like, computers nowadays, but it was the most lo-fi stunt. He basically just greased the floor. Phil's wearing Capizio dance shoes, which is he wears in the movie. Um, does a couple takes, and it, he's, he's, like, you know, a little tentative. And then I'm like, Phil, should we, you know, look, I can shoot him from another angle. We can get a stunt guy. He's like, Amber, no, I got this. I got this. And I think it was like the third or fourth take just fucking goes down. It's the clip that's in the movie, you know, because he's got to time it perfectly. And one of the hardest things you could do as an actor is to fall without anticipating it. I mean, any stunt person will tell you, how do you, how do you trick your mind into doing that? Um, but he just went down didn't land perfectly where the pad was, you know, really, really did. I'm sure he got a massive black and blue mark. Um, but it was just one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. The timing and the, and the fall and that he didn't anticipate it. 
Um, and it just, you know, went into the beginning of the movie and gave it, it was like a huge laugh in the beginning of the movie, which we desperately needed. It's the perfect opening scene, actually. I mean, I feel like you would appreciate this. I was watching this with Mark for maybe the 25th time, and we were in his apartment, yeah. and I was sitting in a uh, rickety old lawn chair. And so Lyle goes down, I bust out laughing, even though I knew it was coming, start cracking up, and then I break the lawn chair, and I <laughs> busted my ass as well. So there you go. It was, it was that. <laughs> It was it was cinematic karma right there. <laughs> that's the that's the best way of putting it. I got one last question for you, John. Yeah, um, I think a lot of the Stiller and Aniston scenes are very underrated. So I want to ask you, how many guys do you think are out there right now as a result of this scene counting to fifty and then subsequently screaming fifty when they climax with their uh, significant others? Um, God, it's a great question. Uh. <laughs> I, I can tell you a lot more people have have come on the record saying they don't eat mixed nuts um, for, at a bar after the movie. Um, the counting for 50 guys are a lot more, uh, they, you know, there's a lot more discretion around that. Um, <laughs> I mean, listen, it's a good technique. I, I, I hope that it's helped some people last a little bit longer. Um, but, uh, you know, that would, you guys would have to tell me anecdotally if you hear of anything. I'll keep, I'll keep my ear to the ground. <laughs> yeah, please. 50-second rule. Yeah, we'll, we'll have supplemental emails uh, related to that, of course. Yeah, no, keep me updated daily, if you would. Yeah. So, so are, you, are you a Knicks fan? Uh, and if so, what do you think of the Porzingis trade? Um, so I used to be a huge Knicks fan. I live, I live in L.A. for the most part now, but um, I had season seats. I mean, I, I didn't think it was a great move. I, he, I liked Porzingis. I mean, it was like one of the rare, you know, those kind of pro projects, you know, those kind of draft picks that actually kind of works out. So I, I didn't, I wasn't in favor of it. And have you seen that video of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the hallway that's circulating Twitter where some blip sync guy has like figured out that Kyrie's trying to pitch KD on joining him with the New York Knicks? No, I have not seen that. I haven't yeah. seen that. Uh, well, that's that's okay. out there, you know, and, the, and all the okay. NBA Twitter conspiracy uh, conspiracy people are are working in uh, in y'all's favor. So we'll see. I okay. think basketball okay. basketball is good when the Knicks are good. So I, yeah, uh, I, it's I know. been only about two decades, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we got two Boston guys on the call, so they're probably not so happy about the prospect of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. They've, you, you, you got haven't you won enough championships? I mean, please let's spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah, Celtics can use a few more, but. John, I because I have you, I, I know we're keeping it focused on uh, Along Came Polly, but this is a but question I have to ask. Sure. So, obviously, the name is Ruben Pfeffer, right? And then, yeah. in a, I Love You, Man, there's Sidney Fife. Is there any connection between the two names right there? And if there is, you know, why? Um, the, you know what? I'm a name guy. I mean, I'm obsessed with naming characters. Um, you know, it's like... It's a, it's a big thing for me because I don't know. The names say so much. Uh, I don't think there is a connection. Um, I think I just like the, like the, the kind of like the, the contrast with the softer, um, you know, first initial and the harder second initial. I think that's it. But there's, you guys may be onto something that my conscious mind is not even aware of. That's how 
that's how good you guys are. Um, Well, that's good to know. And then a brief follow-up. So we touched on Sandy Lyle beforehand. Are you aware that there is a professional golfer from Scotland named Sandy Lyle as well? So, okay. So I, I will admit on this podcast, I am a golf nut. Um, I, I, I play golf, not very well, but I follow the PGA tour. I'm into the game. Having said that, I didn't really know about golf at that time. I wasn't, maybe I was just starting to get into it. So maybe somewhere, you know, I heard the name, but I did not, I, I did not base it on that, on that, on that golfer. Now being a golf nut, I totally know who Sandy Lyle is. And I can't believe no one's ever made the connection before. <laughs> All right. Good. Cause at I the mean, time, he, it was not always, Yeah. He's always playing in the majors. I'm, I mean, let's be realistic. He's not, he's not the greatest golfer in the world when it comes to finishing high in those majors. He, he is, he is a professional and he, he does make cuts, but I just yeah, wanted him he's a little let older. you know that some, I think he is. Yeah. I think he's on the champions tour now or something, but I always wonder if, you know, these guys are ever like, let it rain. And the guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> So John, uh, what are you, what are you working on next? I and mean, what can, can you talk about it? Are you writing, directing anything upcoming we should be looking for or what's on the horizon? Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I'm, I just finished the script of a new movie that I'm, I'm planning to direct. So that's kind of, you know, that could be the next thing I'm vague about it. Cause I'm just, just putting the finishing touches on the script. So it's not like out in the world yet. Um, I'm working on another, another, uh, another script with a friend of mine. And then I'm doing developing a TV show for Amazon uh, with my buddy Ian Helfer, who I wrote why him with, and we're doing that with um, this amazing uh, Irish actress writer named Sharon Horgan. Who oh does, yeah. Um, Catastrophe. Catastrophe. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we're developing a show with her and the actor, Billy Magnuson, who's awesome. Um, it takes place in the self-help world. And we're, uh, we're writing that now. So hopefully, uh, you know, it, hopefully it'll become a series sometime in the next, uh, who knows in the near future. Well, that's great. Uh, it's awesome to hear you have some awesome sounding stuff on the horizon. Uh, I like to ask this too, to any of the filmmakers I had a chance to talk to, what's the last great movie that you saw? Uh, the last great movie I saw would be, let's see. Um, well, a couple I really liked recently, uh, no big surprise. I mean, I liked some of the Oscar movies. I thought Roma was awesome. Um, that was, uh, I just, it really was, you know, takes you to a, to a place so specifically in such a time. And I just thought it was a beautiful film. Uh, I love this little film called, can you ever, For- can you ever forgive me with Melissa McCarthy? Um, Richard E. Grant. I mean, they're both nominated for Oscar. It's nominated for a few Oscars. That was, that was just a beautiful film. I love that. Uh, I love Beale Street. If Beale Street could talk. Um, Black Klansman, I thought was really good. I've, I'm in the Academy, so I've had to watch all these movies so you can vote on them, you know, knowing with, with some knowledge. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, I, I like, I love those movies. I thought Green Book was great too. So, um, I was happy for Pete Farrell. It was cool. I like seeing, you know, these comedy guys who I've known forever, you know, dip their toe in, uh, in more serious fare. It's awesome. 
Yeah, we'll look for your green book here in you know a few years, and maybe we'll see you up on that stage, huh? You know what? Uh, listen, seeing all these guys up there, I'm like, when, when's JH getting getting a little statue? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Where's I thought I thought that uh, Polly might be be nom for something, but uh, you know, well, maybe, Polly maybe deserves it. A, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, if we were the voters, uh, what's that? I said, if we were the voters, you'd be up there 100. Thank you, thank you. You know, you make these comedies, you get, you get. If they work, it's awesome because the audience likes it. People rewatch them. Um, but uh, you know, you kind of have to make peace with that. They're not going to be the most critically lauded movies, uh, you know, ever. So that's okay. That's well, okay. You, you bring joy to a lot of people, and you got big fans here in, uh, in Memphis and in Arizona and on the East Coast. So, John, we appreciate awesome. you taking the time man to, to join us tonight and looking forward to your next projects. Hopefully we'll talk soon. Uh, and then uh, looking forward to maybe a long came probably too. Uh, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out. That's what I'm saying. So I'll keep my ear to the ground on that. You could start a grassroots movement guys. Um, it's possible. There's, there's, there's more stories to tell. Um, but it'd be, it'd be with, with the loss of Phil, uh, which was so sad. It'd be very hard. Um, you know, cause, cause he, he is, it's hard to think of a long can poly without that guy, but, um, but we have the first one. So there you go. It's true. All right, John, Tom. we appreciate it, man. Have a good day, buddy. Thank you guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, John. Bye. All right. Well, that was John Hamburg, the long cane poly writer director. Cool fucking dude. Nice guy. <laughs> the stories were hysterical. I was trying not to audibly laugh and ruin the whole thing, but uh, it was much like watching the film. I couldn't hold back. Uh, I mean, that's just like the 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 story about Baldwin taking Phil Seymour Hoffman aside and coaching him up to deliver that scene in one take is wild, right? Can you imagine if you witnessed that? Can you imagine for a second with me? Baldwin Hoffman, lunch. Baldwin hyping up the scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman does the face uh, uh, jumping. Woo's diving like that. That right there is. I got nothing. I got nothing to say. That was one of the greatest thirty minutes of my life. <laughs> I, was, I was. I mean, that's the kind of stories shocked. you don't get. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was shocked with that scene specifically because PSH as the proxy knocked it out of the park. I was like, this is amazing what he does with Van Lu and the entire board, right? And so I was shocked that it took him that many, that many times. Or it, I shouldn't say that. I was shocked that it was a challenge uh, to get there. And it turned out to be one of the best scenes in the entire film. Yeah, we just assume these guys, like, first take, go up there and fucking kill it. But, you know, I mean, they're, it's such a process. And I find it so interesting, the, like, how you have to, you know, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, sometimes you're just not getting it. And having to tell Phyllis Seymour often, like, yo, you're not bringing the energy, man. And, like, working through that, it's got to be tough. It's tough to be a director. Oh, Sam, I'm sure you probably don't want to do this, but there's a large part of me that does not even want to broadcast what just happened. And so I can go around and say, you know what, guys, I tell people, you know, I actually had a chat with Hamburg, the guy that did Polly. There's a little nugget for you that only I know, but <laughs> I get the fact that, you know, we should probably publish this, but I, there's a large part of me that doesn't want to. I mean, for the hundred people that listen to this, I, I doubt we'll have a cross pollination effort here, uh, but you know, maybe, maybe. And, and, yeah, you know, those, those I feel like there's still a nugget. Don't know how lucky they are. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. I, am, uh, 
I am 100% going to be that obnoxious viewer whenever I watch Polly with someone else. Whenever that scene comes out, I'm going to be like, well, FYI, this is what happened. Or, hey, Hank Azaria is there. You know, this was based on a true story, actually. I'm definitely going to be that little pop-up video guy that's going to give you nuggets and <laughs> probably ruin the viewing experience. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. That's all fucking good. It wasn't even in the IMDb trivia. I looked at that. A lot of this was – none of this was in there. It was very bare, actually. So I <clears throat> really appreciate Hamburg coming on and, and sharing that. Awesome guy. A really, really chill, <clears throat> chill, humble guy. And, you know, look forward to watching what he's got in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Guys, Couldn't check out Along Came Polly, man. It's on uh, – it's, it's all over – TV. I don't know if it's uh, on anything right now, but just it's one of those that pop on. It's a good little comedy movie from the 2000s. It'll take you back to when you were, at least for me, when I was like 13 and rented it from Blockbuster probably. And I was like, this shit's awesome. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Happy Hard to believe it's birthday, 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 Paul. Yeah. Yep. Happy 15th anniversary to Long Came Polly, boys. Thanks for joining. Uh, we appreciate Hamburg coming on and, uh, and we'll talk soon. We got to. I want to have you guys on for a movie that y'all like that isn't a smell your own fart Oscar film. Uh, so name your poison and let's do it. I'll the only movies I got. <laughs> All right. All right, boys. Have a good night. You too. Later. Thanks, Chief. One, two, three, and. Jesus, that's my song. I know it's your song, but I felt something and I decided to go with it. But you're playing Judas. Judas, all right, look, here's the deal. I'm the star of the show, okay? So if I decide to bust out a solo, do me a favor and give me the freedom to rock out. From the top, okay, Wansuck? So the play's going well. I think it's going to be fun. I wish it wouldn't surround me with a bunch of amateurs. Uh-huh. Isn't that like the point of community theater? Yeah, whatever, Ruben. Good evening, folks. Uh, I'm Sandy Lyle, and I've got a very special announcement. Please note that in tonight's performance, in addition to playing the role of Judas, I'll be playing Jesus as well. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Sandy, what are you doing? Wansuck is playing Jesus. It's cool. I'm playing dual roles. Give me a crown, okay, Wansuck? Screw you, Sandy. You're a husband. No one even cares you were in that stupid movie. Oh, no. Oh, shit! Ah! Oh!